and welcome back to the I Love Success podcast. My mission is to help 10 million people in 10 years to achieve their dreams. And I can't do it myself. That's why I'm here today in Shino Hills. I'm gonna meet with an amazing person called Bedros Kulian. He's the founder of Fit Body Bootcamp, one of the fastest growing franchises in the world for fitness. He's just an incredible human being. But it's not always been like this. He's an immigrant kid, a former chubby kid. Now he's a little bit more buff. And he was a guy who used to do a lot of wrongs, but now he started to man up and change his life. And when he changed himself, everything else around him started to change. So I'm so grateful to be in his own studio today and record the I Love Success podcast. Welcome, Bedros. Thank you for having me and welcome to our headquarters, Peter. <laughs> yeah, I was Peter. just saying, can I say welcome you? <laughs> can I take ownership of that? <laughs> Absolutely, man. This is your show and I'm just grateful to be on it. Thank you. Yeah, I- I'm grateful too. And I'm going to jump right into it, Bedros. Sure. Who are you really as a person? Um, if I could summarize it in four words, it would be the immigrant edge and the American dream. And by that, I mean I'm a immigrant that came to this country from a communist country, Soviet Union, um, Armenia specifically. And, uh, you know, I was six years old in 1980 when we came here. And there was no internet, there was no technology, the government didn't offer as many um, support systems for immigrants as it does today. And so, you know, being foreigners, not speaking English, not knowing the culture, not having money, it was a tough upbringing for us. But my dad had a vision for bringing us to to the United States and letting us grow as entrepreneurs, having us experience freedom, seeing opportunity. And those are all the things you couldn't do in a communist country. You can't be an entrepreneur. Freedom doesn't exist. And, uh, you know, you can't voice your opinion when you're in a communist country. And so my dad, we escaped communist Russia, Soviet Union, and he risked his life to get us here. And so when he told us that we have freedom and opportunity and we can become entrepreneurs or anything we wanted, I took advantage of that. And I figured the best way to honor my mom and dad who took that risk was to become successful. Um, but in the process of becoming successful, I, I did, as you alluded to your intro, I did hit a lot of road bumps. You know, When you are yelled at and cussed at and told to go back to your own fucking country it leaves a lot of scars on you as a young man. And um, I grew up with a lot of rage, a lot of anger, a lot of hatred towards the people who didn't want us here in this country. Um, and so I got into a lot of trouble. And that's, and I, when I mean trouble, I mean like police helicopter chases, um, carjackings. And it's not something I'm proud of, but I share this in full transparency because if I didn't have mentors in my life who taught me the idea of karma, like I would, I would do a carjacking, then later the, one night after a carjacking in the afternoon, that night I took a girl out to a, to a date, to a miniature golfing. And little did I know that the guy that we carjacked was in an Asian gang and, third, and he had followed me afterwards um, and knew where I was that night and 13 of them came in to the golf course and beat me with golf clubs and put me in the hospital that night. And so I learned about karma very quickly. Um, Growing up, 
I was a fat kid, so that gives you a lot of kind of insight into. Me too. <laughs> Were you really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you could imagine now you're a foreigner, you're a fat kid, you're told to go back to your own country, your parents are, uh, you know, yelled at, hey, you're taking all of our American jobs. Like it was a different America in the 80s. It was a different America. I have to, I have to explain that. And so, and then of course, you know, in high school, no one wants to, elementary school, no one wants to talk to you if you're the fat kid. It's not like today where everybody's accepted. You're the fat kid, they're making fun of you, man. Bullying was real. It's not just cyberbullying, it was real. And so there was a lot of anger and rage and I had no direction for an outlet. And so I got into a lot of trouble. Thankfully, thankfully, my senior year of high school, I decided that I'm going to lose weight so I can ask a girl out to the prom and when I lost the weight the summer of senior year, I lost like 35 pounds of fat and started to work out um, and put on some muscle. Peter, I, I completely changed as a human. I more confident, self-esteem. I would look people in the eyes and I would talk to them, shake their hands. And so I wanted to then, after high school, become a personal trainer. And that's when I started realizing that I have mentors around me because anyone who could afford a personal trainer usually has a good amount of money. Yeah. That means they're probably an entrepreneur. They've, they've done something in life to climb that high in success. And thankfully, my clients were my best mentors and guided me out of the self-destruction that I was in and into becoming an entrepreneur. Yeah, That's amazing. And we're going to talk much more about that. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on and talk about you deciding to becoming an entrepreneur. When, when did you decide to do that? You know, I was working, working at a big box gym uh, in LA Fitness, La Habra, actually Fountain Valley, and then I went to La Habra. Yeah. It, it's, it's like a big chain of gyms. And uh, for all personal trainers in the fitness industry, the big box gym is a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because they have gym members and your job is to approach them and, hey, do you wanna be a client? Can I help you get faster results? I'm a personal trainer, do you wanna hire me? Well, that's great. But the gym pays you 11, at the time I was getting paid $11 an hour. Today it's probably $20, $25 an hour. It's still nothing amazing. Like you're not gonna live a impactful life. You're not gonna experience many of this planet's amazing places, destinations at $25 an hour. And so I would always complain to my clients like, oh man, you know, you're paying $800 a month. The gym is getting that. I'm getting $11.50 an hour, you know? And, and it's probably bad form to complain to them, right? I love it. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I was a young man. Yeah. And, 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 and so because of that, you know, Peter, I had, a, I had two side jobs. I was a fry cook at Disneyland while I was a personal trainer. And I was a bouncer at a gay bar because the gay bar paid more than the straight bar. And when you work at Disneyland, you get to know a lot of gay people because a lot of gay people work at Disneyland for some reason. And so I made great friends with the gay community and they said, one day I was complaining to them, like, man, as a personal trainer, I don't make enough money and I have to have the side job and I still need more money because Christmas is coming and I've got nieces and nephews. And uh, this guy, Randy, he goes, well, if you don't mind uh, working at a gay club, gay nightclub, I can get you a job as a bouncer. He goes, and they pay more than the straight bar. I'm like, well, dude, I work with you here. I, I don't mind going there, you know? So anyway, long story short, I remember thinking to myself, there is no nurse who's also a fry cook and a bouncer. There is no architect who's a fry cook and a bouncer. But in the personal training fitness industry, it's notorious that we have side jobs to make ends meet. And so I'm complaining to one of my clients, his name is Jim Franco, and he goes, why don't you do something about it? He goes, you're a horrible salesman. I go, 
No, I sold you on a $600 a month program. He goes, no, you didn't. You're an order taker. You just took my order. Like, you're not a salesman. You don't understand sales. He goes, I came in here looking for three days a week for a personal trainer, and you just took my order. Oh, dang, okay. So the <laughs> next day, he shows up with a cassette tape, which is a sales tape, and it teaches real estate agents how to sell homes. And so he goes, here, I want you to listen to this. And I look at the cover, I go, this says real estate sales. I'm a personal trainer. This can't help me. He goes, listen, every time you hear real estate, just change it to personal trainer. You're going to do fine. <laughs> Man, that tape from Tom Hopkins led me to Brian Tracy, then Zig Ziglar, then Dan Kennedy, then Tony Robbins, then Jay Abraham, Gary Albert. And before you know it, I, I've just become this master at marketing, sales, influence, persuasion, and I'm closing deals left and right. I'm still making $11, $12 an hour. And I go, hey, Jim, I'm closing all these deals for the, for, the, for the health club. He goes, well, why don't you open up your own place? I don't have any money. He goes, I'll loan you the money. You pay me back 8%, but I still be your 50% um, business partner even after you pay me back. It was a horrible deal, but I took it because <laughs> yeah. I didn't know it was a horrible deal. <laughs> so I paid him back 8% interest, and he was my business partner in my first gym. After that, I opened up four more. But it was the pain of being an employee. The pain of being an employee was so bad for me. The pain of having multiple jobs was so bad, Peter, that I had to become an entrepreneur because I wanted a champagne life, but I was, I was getting a beer paycheck. And what's, what's the art of selling? If you would, it's hard to summarize, but what, what's the most important things to think about when you are selling something? Good question. There's two things. And most people go, oh, selling, man. I didn't become a doctor to sell. I didn't become a personal trainer to sell. Look, I'm in great shape. She's 200 pounds overweight. Her doctor says she needs to lose weight. Her husband says she needs to lose weight. Her neighbor says she needs like, I shouldn't have to sell you. No, you do, because odds are the person who's 200 pounds overweight, 100 pounds, 50 pounds overweight, they don't have a diet problem. They have an emotional problem that they're using food as the treatment. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so if you understand marketing, then you can explain to them, like I was able to explain to them, it's called transference of feelings. I don't have to sell you. I would just go, hey, Mrs. Jones, kind of be honest with you. I used to be 35 pounds overweight. And in high school, I wasn't friends with the jocks. I wasn't friends with the, with the smart kids, with the gothic kids, with the musician kids. In fact, I hated lunch in high school because every group was sitting around having fun and eating. And because I felt like a pariah, I felt like an outcast. Peter, I would just walk around the quad because I didn't even have a place that I belonged in. And so I just was like, I hope no one sees me. I hope I'm invisible. I hope lunch is over soon. I would just walk around waiting for that 45-minute lunch period to end. Well, that happens with grown adults today. We eat ourselves because of trauma, of something in our relationship, financial stress. You name it. Something's going on, and we're using food as the medication. I was using food as the medication because I was a kid who had been bullied. I was a kid who had been told, go back to your own fucking country. And so to me... I had low self-esteem, low self-image, and food gave me that dopamine hit that I needed to get me through the day, right? And it was a source of comfort. Well, as it turns out, thankfully, because I wanted to ask a girl out, I decided that I, I better make an effort and lose weight. Yeah. Turns out I got more self-esteem and comfort by being fit and athletic than ever with food. So if you understand marketing and selling, you can transfer those feelings. Now I can talk to Mrs. Jones, who's 50 to 250 pounds overweight, and say, can I tell you my story? Can I tell you how I was hiding? 
Can I tell you how I was suffering? Can I tell you how I used food as medication? And when I transfer my feelings over to her, she goes, I want to do business with you. Here's my money. Help me get there. Because she doesn't have a diet problem. You can go to YouTube and figure out what diet to eat for free. You can go to YouTube and figure out what exercises to do. If you want motivation, go to YouTube and Google Tony Robbins and you got motivation. You want accountability? Go download uh, whatever it's called, uh, whatever app you need to, for accountability. Everything's there. It's free. You need a person to tell you and guide you and say, I was once where you are. I know your pain. I know your suffering. I know you're suffering in silence. And it doesn't matter if you're a dentist, by the way, if you're a chiropractor, you're a personal trainer. It's the same thing. So selling is transference of feelings. People go, well, I don't want to force someone to give me their money in exchange for my service. Just transfer your feelings. Yeah. And the, but if we don't know how to do that, we, we think selling is bad. It's not bad. Yeah, I, th I think like selling is everything. Everything. Uh, you, you sell every, I, I met with Ryan Serrant, which is one of the best real estate agents in the world. And it's like, we, we're constantly selling something. Even you sell to your kids or if you're a mom or like you always sell something. And if you can't sell, you're gonna lose in this economy, right? Yeah. And um, you don't want to be that person, no. especially when you're good at something. We talk about doctors and all these things. And I, I listened to the impact theory with you yesterday. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting. You said you're not the sharpest <laughs> knife in the drawer. I'm not. Uh, but you seem very intelligent. And look, we're sitting in your offices here. What, why do you think you made this happen, you know? Because it must be something with you that made this happen, you yeah. know? Two things, consistence and persistence. I, I am obsessed, for some reason I lock onto things, which means I am persistent. Like I will do something over and over again until I figure it out. For example, you may, well you said you weren't naturally gifted at karate, yeah. right, at martial arts. But let's say you were, yeah. if you were, and we both learn a new, I don't know, kick, block, whatever, and you pick it up right away, Good for you. I'll keep doing it until two years from now, I, I can do it as good as you. So that's the persistence. And the consistence is that I lock onto something and I just keep doing it. You could set your clock to me. So you don't have, and I'm proof, you don't have to be the most, I've, I've taken an intelligence test. I am average intelligence. Like I am the average human being. In fact, I've got ADD, OCD, and the ADD is damaging to me, but the OCD is the persistence. And the consistence part is my dad always said like, finish what you start. Well, if I'm gonna try and become an entrepreneur and I want 2,500 locations worldwide so we can impact five million people every year or every morning through fitness, I better be consistent. Those are the only two reasons why I've made it. Yeah. And, uh, and how, uh, let's talk about healing. How is your healing? You started with this when you were 38. How, how is it going, the healing? Good, man. Um, <laughs> and here's how it started too, it was accidental. Right around 38, at the age of 38, I started, I had my first anxiety attack, which I talk about in yeah. the book, and I, I called it, you know, in the book I call it my first, my, the morning of my heart attack, because I thought I was having a heart attack, man. Like, my throat was closing up, my arms were tingling, my tunnel vision, I couldn't breathe right, and Peter, I, I was thinking, like, who's gonna raise my daughter? Who's gonna give my son, you know, fatherly lessons? And somehow, I survived that heart attack. Well, as it turns out, it was an anxiety attack, my first of many. And so the doctor put me on Xanax and I didn't like using Xanax because I was foggy headed and you know, I couldn't perform at work. 
So I looked, I did a Google search and Google helped me find this guy named Kevin Downing. He's in Brea, he's a psychologist and he's a performance psychologist. So he'll help you perform better at life or sports or whatever your thing is. And so uh, I went to him, I said, hey, look, I'm getting anxiety. I need to not have anxiety so I can work because when I have anxiety, I end up taking NyQuil and Vicodin at night so I can sleep and I don't wanna do that. So he goes, all right, well, in four weeks, he helped me. He helped me get over anxiety. And he taught me two things. One is halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, you're gonna have an anxiety if you're me. If you're an alcoholic, you're likely gonna hit the bottle. If you're a drug addict, if you're hungry, lonely, angry, tired, you're gonna go back to drugs. Whatever your vice is, if you're hungry, lo lonely, angry, tired, halting, you're gonna go back to that. So he says, hey, make sure you're, if you're hungry, stop what you're doing, go, go take a bite, go get some food, nourish your body, get some water. Um, lonely, stop being lonely. A lot of people suffer when they're lonely, right? Stop being lonely. Go, go, go take a walk with your wife, hang out with your kids, connect with a friend, go surfing. So I, I started to do those things. And then the other thing he taught me was anxiety is anticipation of future pain. So when you're having an anxiety moment, it's because you're anticipating a future problem, a future pain that you're not addressing. So in four weeks, I shook his hand. Kevin, thank you so much. I haven't had anxiety for four weeks now. You've cured me. I understand halt, I understand anxiety is future, anticipation of future pain, peace out. <laughs> and uh, he goes, hey, before you leave, how's your life? How's the rest of your life? Great, everything's fine. How was your childhood? Great, did your parents ever beat you? I'm like, ah, oh, you know, my dad slapped me around here and there, but that's just the communist way. But compared to what happened to me when I was a kid, uh, even in Armenia, my dad slapping me around is nothing. He goes, wait a minute, there's something worse that happened to you? than being slapped around by your dad? I go, yeah, and that's pretty much led to the next 16 months. Every Monday for 16 fucking months, I went to Kevin and we just went through what happened to me as a kid. And the three things it had done to me is it I was shame, rage, and confusion. I was in this constant cycle of shame. Like, I'm embarrassed, I can't believe I got molested. What did I do to deserve, right? I'm embarrassed by this. Confusion, like, did I, did I encourage that? Did I do something to get molested? Like, did I encourage these guys to do this to me over and over again? And then the rage, how the fuck could this happen to me? Like, this will never happen to me again, and I'm gonna get be big and strong and powerful, so this never happens to me again. And so when you're stuck in this cycle of shame, rage, confusion, you're doing a lot of carjackings. You're doing a lot of bad things to people because you are just acting out. That's all it is. It was a young boy acting out as a man, right? And so as Kevin helped me, I call it, I had three mountains that I always had to battle in my whole life. And as he just straightened those mountains out, now my path was even. I wasn't flying off the handle. I'm not ashamed of what happened. I didn't do anything to attract that. It happened to me. It doesn't define me. Um, and anybody watching or listening to this, like no one gets out of this life unscathed. The, the statistics are this, one out of every three people will have physical, mental, emotional trauma. One out of every four people will have sexual trauma, sexual abuse. It doesn't matter if it's physical, sexual, emotional, mental, the part of your brain that lights up when there's trauma is the same. And so you start seeing life through different filters. No trust, anger, rage, pessimism, right? And when you're looking at life and hearing life through those twisted filters, things aren't going to work out for you. And they weren't working out for me. And that's, that was the source of my anxieties. 
And so thankfully, everything's great. I can openly talk about it now. I had never talked about it. My wife didn't know. No one knew for 38 years. Um, and, and now when it's the timing's right, I do talk about it, and it's just a blip on my radar. That's it. Yeah, thank you for sharing this. Uh, so man up, what does that mean, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it certainly is uh, it's not just gender-specific to men. It's, man up is this to me. Um, when I had a business partner in Fit Body Boot Camp, and he was, a, he was a good human, but we had two different visions for Fit Body Boot Camp, how Fit Body Boot Camp was gonna be. And um, I would hear his Corvette driving up to our old office down the street, two miles away from here, and I would start feeling anxiety because there was conversations that he and I needed to have, but I wasn't willing to have those conversations because I was too people-pleasing. I didn't want to hurt his feelings. I didn't want to seem like a bad guy. And so instead, I would carry that and led to anxiety, almost led to a divorce. Uh, I started putting weight on again because I was starting to emotionally eat again, right? And so one day, I just told myself, like, I've got to have this conversation with him, and we have to part ways. He can have Fit Body Boot Camp, or I can, but we both can't run it together. And so I texted him and I said, hey, can you meet me in the office, at the office? And uh, I was like probably an hour and a half away from the office at the time. I'm driving there and Peter, everything inside me is saying, just go off the exit, just turn around, just text him and say, hey, never mind. there's nothing to talk about. But I kept telling myself, Pedros, it's time to man up. It's time to man up. I drove an hour and a half literally saying that mantra over and over again, it's time to man up, it's time to man up, until I got to the headquarters. And truth be told, I parked in front of our office, I'm sitting in my car, I'm like, just put it in reverse, go back home, yeah. you know? No, no, it's time to man up, it's time to have that conversation. So it was a call to action, that do what you need to do, have the hard conversation and part ways as friends before things get worse. And so it's those five words, it's time to man up, help me not only part ways with him, but helped me get clear on my vision for my team. I, I hated my employees, and today I call them team members. Back then I had employees. They clocked in a little late, clocked out a little early, did the bare minimum, they didn't know what my vision was, and I had resentment towards them, but I didn't have vision. So man up really is rise to your full potential. It's stop making excuses, take control of your situation, and rise to your potential. I was using the excuse of, oh, my partner means well, but I was coming up with excuses for him. Oh, my employees mean well, but they just don't understand. Oh, my franchisees don't understand how hard I'm working and that's why they're complaining, right? I was the problem. I had to stop making excuses for everybody, take control, and then have the conversations, become self-disciplined, eat right, train right, know that I want 2,500 locations by the year 2023, and build a high-performance team instead of just employees who kind of showed up and barely worked. So Man Up is a call to action, and I tell anyone, if you have greater potential in life and you're not reaching it, it's, it's time to man up. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I think you, you are, uh, you're very detail-oriented, right? Yes, sir. Because I, I went to the restroom and I was so clean and the floor was shiny. I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is good. Yeah, you'll never <laughs> find a thing out of place around here. Because yeah. it goes back to what T. Harv Eckert said, how you do anything is how you do everything, right? And is that so, true? Absolutely, absolutely. If I walk out to your car right now, I can tell by the way you're buttoned up right now that if I walk out to your car and look at it, it's spotless inside. There's no protein bar wrappers or 
or empty Starbucks cups. And then we can go find a car that we do see burger wrappers and star empty Starbucks cups and containers. And we can find who owns that and go find their office in the building next door because they wouldn't be in this building or the building next door. We find their office, it's gonna look like their car. And then if their office looks like their car, their thoughts are like that. Their bank account, if we look at it, it's chaotic. Their relationship is a mess, it's chaotic. You look at their health, it's chaotic. How you do anything is how you do everything. It's, everything's connected. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one last question to you, Bedros. Something that I ask all my guests. Yeah. We're all about sharing journeys and your journey is incredible. But what I really want to do is when people are done watching and listening to this, that they take action in their own life because then this conversation matters and we can help them change their own life. So if they can just do one, one, one thing right after this, what would that be? That one thing is tomorrow morning, do not hit the snooze button. That's it. The one thing you can do immediately to create a positive change in your life tomorrow is to not hit the snooze button when your alarm goes off. And the reason for that is you are telling your subconscious mind that you are accepting 10 more minutes of interrupted, mediocre sleep over waking up and living your purpose and your passion on this planet. And if the very first decision you made in the morning is a decision of weakness, of mediocrity, how do you think the rest of your day is gonna go? So I want them to spring out of bed brush their teeth, go through their gratitude exercises, do whatever it takes to dominate their path instead of hitting that fucking snooze button. I'm here with the amazing entrepreneur and high-performance coach, Bedros Koulian. We're here for one thing and one thing only, and that is to help you crush your goals in 2020. So let's do this. Hey, Bedros. Thanks for having me, Peter. I appreciate you being back, man. Yeah, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot uh, about you the last year and, and following your journey and what you do. And, and I kind of decided this year, I want to do something special for my audience. I yeah. want them to kind of be able to set their goals for 2020 and not only set the goals that many people do, actually pursue them and achieve them, achieve them which yeah. is very different from just like a new year's resolution yeah so before we go into that i just want to like kind of talk a little bit with you what what's been going on the last year for you and in, in your life yeah good question so in the last year like i like to set mega goals and every time i think my goal is going to be too big i think about elon musk who currently has a tesla on a rocket on its way to mars and I go, is my goal that big? No, it's not. Then it's not, I don't need to fear it, right? Like I always, once you compare your, what you think is a big goal to someone else's, you realize this is actually not that big of a goal. So I like to set mega goals for me. And so I decided I wanted to launch a supplement company. So in the last year, we launched a supplement company, which really, really works hand in hand with our Fit Body Bootcamp franchise. We've got hundreds of franchise locations all across the United States and the world and you know millions of clients who use Fit Body Bootcamp when they go work out there, they wanna have supplements and we would send them to supplement stores. And of course, supplement stores sell them the highest profit product with the lowest quality. And so I said, you know, we gotta have our own supplements. And so we launched the True Lean brand and it just took off. It did 1.4 million in the first four months alone. Wow. Um, you know, it, we, we, had our, we had our trials and tribulations. So I launched that a supplement company, I launched a men's development, personal development program called The Project, which is uh, 16 men once a month, uh, 16 new men for 75 hours, uh, myself 
a Navy SEAL who's a friend of mine, a Marine who's a friend of mine, a SWAT, uh, SWAT sniper, and an MMA fighter. We coach them for 75 hours and take them through a 75-hour uh, experience where we break them down physically, mentally, and emotionally and rebuild them into what we call modern-day knights. And these are men who are entrepreneurs, have families, they're stressed out, they're suffering in silence, maybe they have addictions that are secret, gambling, drugs, alcohol, whatever. And I realized no one's really looking after these men because they're meant to just, hey, just suck it up, just be a man and figure it out. Well, we need to figure it out by working together and talking about it. But most men don't really want to talk about anything other than superficial stuff. And so by really beating them up physically, mentally, and emotionally for 75 hours, they create a deep bond, deep commitment to each other and to the instructors. And uh, we've, we're coming on to our third class now, which has just been an amazing experience. So between Trulene and the project, those two things have had me busy in this 2019 year. And of course, our Fit Body Bootcamp franchise and my coaching business, my speaking gigs, my book just became a one-year-old, uh, hit the... Um, Wall Street Journal bestseller. So I've just been very blessed, uh, but very busy. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is so interesting. I'm, I'm, I have the honor of sitting down with so many high performers. And we, you talk about all these things and everything seems to be going so well. So for people looking from the outside, they, they're like, yeah, that's really good, but I'm not like Bedros. Uh, like, what do you want to say to them? <laughs> That's a good question. See, I love the questions you ask. This yeah. is why I love when you're here. Uh, you know how I said we did $1.4 million yeah. in the first four months of Trulene? The first month that we launched it, we, we literally didn't sell anything because instead of creating one specific product, like you can see the containers over there, yeah. we should have just created the protein. Instead, we created 14 different SKUs, greens, BCAAs, all these different things that our franchise owners were gonna buy. Because it was confusing for them, we thought in the first month we were gonna sell a couple million dollars worth of product. Dude, it sat on the shelves for like two months. And when you have a few million dollars worth of product sitting on the, on the shelf for two months, that's literally money parked, not making interest, not making you money. So there's my first like big thing that went wrong, right? Um, and the project, when you think about, well, the project, the personal development program for men, um, I do it in a building that I bought two years ago, which was supposed to be our corporate office. I think I told you about that. Yeah. But it's across the street from the men's prison. I decided I don't want to have a corporate office. So I made a mistake buying a $1.1 million business or building. And so finally, after two years of it being empty, yeah, I turned it into a private gym, but it still has a mortgage of $8,000 a month. Yeah. Finally, after two years, we're making money with that by having the project there. Yeah. And so when you really think about it, every single success I've had, even my franchise, people see that, that we've hit the Inc. 5000 list four years in a row. Entrepreneur Magazine's fastest growing franchise, top 100 franchise in Entrepreneur Magazine the last two years. Well, when you look at 2010, 11, 12, 13, the first four years of Fit Body Bootcamp, me and my business partner broke up because we were in such massive debt that we just started to argue and fight all the time. Um, I wrote about in my book, Man Up, how, how damaging my business was to my health and my relationship because I couldn't figure out how to launch a franchise because it's different than a coaching business. Yeah. Every single business that I launch comes with adversity and whatever my next thing is gonna be in 2020 and beyond, will, I guarantee you it will have adversity. The difference is I now know, because I've been in the trenches for so long, 
that success only comes after failure, not it's successful when you launch it. It's just the world sees the success because on Instagram I go, here's what we're doing, the project. Do you know how many attorneys I had to talk about when they go, wait, you want, you're, gonna do, you're gonna have 16 men dig holes and bury themselves? You can't do that. I had to have attorneys, doctors, <laughs> medics on site for 75 hours. How do you get all that? How do you work with the city? Because we take these guys for 75 hours all around the city, running, walking with logs on their shoulders, right? So when you think about all the different adversities, failures, people telling you you can't do it, you're gonna kill someone. Okay, we have a medic on hand. What if they have a heart attack? Okay, we'll get an AED. What if, all the what ifs, there's gonna be what ifs every single time, there's gonna be failure, but failure is the byproduct. It is the most important essential ingredient to success. Yeah. Failure. And so whatever the thing I launched next year, I even told my wife, I said, <laughs> I wonder what the failure is gonna be with Trulink, because couldn't, we couldn't figure it out. We got a good VP running it, we got a good team built around him. She goes, man, everything's great. Like, he's awesome, the team's awesome. The supplement, the, the formulator, the scientists who make the, the su supplement for us, they're awesome. I'm like, just watch, just watch. When we launch it, something's gonna go wrong. I know it. Everything was perfect. And I call it bursting the bubble. Yeah. In a vacuum, Peter, everything is perfect. Fit Body Bootcamp was perfect in a vacuum. Trulian was perfect in a vacuum. And, and that's, that's here, that's in your brain, in your mind. Soon as you burst a bubble, you put it out into the world, something must go wrong in order for you to be successful. Otherwise, you cannot be successful. That's what people misunderstand. I think that's a huge point and what I want to dig a little bit deeper before we talk about the process of goal setting is like so what is the differentiator for people like yourself who keep going and don't stop for when the first failure comes so it must be something how you deal with failure how you think and your mindset like can you can you explain that yeah yeah First of all, I'm going to tell you, and I think we talked about this before, I believe entrepreneurship is not for everybody. Right now, it's such a big, cool thing to be an entrepreneur, and I don't understand why, because who wants a ton of responsibility for an idea that already exists? Some other person has a franchise already. There's tons of fitness franchises, tons of supplement companies, tons of men's self-development programs, tons and tons and tons. So you come up with an idea that someone already has, they're already marketing it, you're going to invest money, take risks, hire employees, take responsibility for them, legal issues, health department issues if it's supplements, right? You really have to be a special kind of character yeah. to say, I want to take on this challenge. And I believe for me, and for most really successful entrepreneurs I've met, it's, it's the rage in their eyes, the chip on their shoulder, the fire in their <laughs> belly. Enough people have to have told you, you can't do it. Yeah. You're not meant to, you didn't graduate college, but you barely made it out of high school. You're an immigrant, you're a foreigner to this country. How are you gonna make it? You don't even have a college degree and you're gonna do all these things? And I use all of that and people go, well, you should do it with happiness. Look, I am happy. Yeah. This is me happy, intense <laughs> is happy for me. But I have rage in my eyes, a chip on my shoulder and fire in my belly for every single person that told me that I can't do it. Yeah. And I somehow get off on the adversity. The tougher it is, the more I get off on it. I don't want it, but I just somehow need it in my life. And the best entrepreneurs, like Elon Musk, who is this guy who created PayPal to think that he can leave technology world and create the best electric car on the planet even though Chevy, Ford, uh, 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 Dodge, Toyota, Honda, and all the Japanese brands already have electric cars? Like, is he nuts, <laughs> right? And look at all the pushback he got and all the lobbyists. He, he, but he thrives off adversity. He wants people to tell him you can't do it so he can do it. That's what makes a great entrepreneur. That's what feeds me. And the people who 
can't take that, don't want adversity, they should become team members and they should be intrapreneurs. In other words, like I can't do what Ed's doing right here behind the cameras. Like he is, he's gifted. The man is gifted, not just talented, gifted, that he will take this footage from these three different cameras and the audio and the, and the B-rolls that he'll put in and it'll be this amazing thing for us to show the world, right? He's an entrepreneur. He does this better than anyone else I know. Yeah. And he makes us make money and so he gets money for it. Be an entrepreneur if you don't want to be the entrepreneur, but it's not for everybody. I just am willing to suffer and I love the pain and I love to push through and I, and I think about all the people that's told me no and in my mind I go, take that. Yeah. You got to be that kind of person. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same way. I don't know why. I, I'm attracted by that shit. Right, right. <laughs> Which is kind of stupid in a way, but it, it makes it me feel fucking alive too. It does. And, you know, look, and your marriage, if you're an entrepreneur, your marriage is going to feel it. Because if you're an entrepreneur, your business is going to be the other woman or the other guy at some point. That's it. It has to be. Because you have to give it full-time attention, especially in the infancy stage, right? And so I ask people, like, do you really want to go through all that pain? Or would you rather just be an entrepreneur, get health benefits? In our case, we give something like 19 paid days off a year. Uh, we give a pension plan, a 401k, all this good pay. Like, it's not for everybody. But if you're willing to be that kind of nut like you and I are, go for it. Yeah. But just know <laughs> that you are going to feel the pain before the pleasure comes. Yeah. It's the formula. It's amazing. And I'm just thinking kind of the process of dreaming. And I think when we are young kids, yeah. uh, you have kids, like we dream without limitations. Yeah. And our dreams comes from pleasure rather than pain yeah. uh, but once we gr grew a little bit older we would get into like everybody's had like a shitty job or things like that then our dreams come from pain yes right yeah which is so interesting and i think that's good for the people listening to know like a dream doesn't have to come from pleasure it could also come from pain yeah. and finding a solution because that's what a company basically is if you're a good problem solver and can share the that problem solving with the world to many people, you're going to be successful. Yep. So what do we want to say to, to people that are like, they've had a decent year or shitty year or even a good year, but they feel like deep down, like this is not what I'm supposed to do on this planet. Like what's the first step for them to do? Well, the first step is to figure out what they should be doing, yeah. right? And, and I can tell you this, man, because I'm 45 now. I started personal training when I was 24 years old, right? When I was, I had like three clients, wasn't making any money, not enough to make that my full-time gig. But at 23, all I wanted to do was if I could just own one gym, Peter, yeah. that was it. I'm yeah. good, man. Now we have, with our franchise, over 500 locations worldwide uh, and another couple hundred scheduled to open in the development phase. And my dreams are bigger. Yeah. But I went right to the pain dream like the pain is what motivated me to dream bigger and be an entrepreneur but what i can tell people who are had a good year a bad year a so-so year it doesn't matter if you don't think you're supposed you're doing what you're doing what you're if you're not doing what you should be doing yeah. ask yourself what would i do for free like this is what i did to myself what would i do for free if someone else if peter said i'm going to pay for your whole lifestyle your health benefits your family's vacations pedros pick the one thing you would do for free well for me it would still be personal training like I would be personal training, which is what I did. I accept I had two jobs paying for my other job, right? Because <laughs> my passion. Because the moment you put money aside and you say, what would I do for free if my whole lifestyle was paid for? 
Everyone's going to think of it. Someone's going to say, well, I would go paint on walls. I would just be the best graffiti artist on the planet. Good. And then I would say, get so good at it, get so good at it that people want to pay you. Yeah. And that's the piece that people forget. They get just good enough where they're just like everybody else. You're just a gra graffiti artist. I can hire you. I can hire this guy. I can hire that guy. Or you're a great, uh, whatever, massage therapist. But the best massage therapist, I bet we can figure out who that is. They get paid more than all the others. My friend Tom Bilyeu, who uh, co-founder of Quest Nutrition, Quest yeah. Bars, says there's always room at the top for the best. And proof of that is Tesla. All these other car companies were out there before. He makes an electric car, and now he's selling all the other car companies two to one where electric cars are concerned. Because it's a better product. It just is a better product. And I believe that if you just stop and go, what would I do for free if someone else paid for my lifestyle and just forget about money for a moment, that it would just make me happy, I could do it 24 hours a day. And then you go, okay, now how could I be so good at it where others would pay me? Bingo, you found your purpose. Yeah. Now, a decade from now, that might be different. Your purpose might be different. Yeah. Because now I love helping men who are in a position that I was in 10 years ago, stressed out, suffering, freaking out, marriage, kids, business. How do I balance it all? Now I know how to do it at 45 years old. At 35, I was a stress case. And I wrote about it in my book. And so now I would do that for free. The thing is, I've got now the Navy SEAL, the Marine, the SWAT sniper, the MMA guy. I got such amazing, talented people around me, and I've developed a skill of being a good entrepreneur that I can charge for it. That we charge $12,000 a person to go through that experience because I've got the right team and we deliver such an outcome. But I would do that for free. And then I said, well, how can I get so good? Can I build a team around me so effective that we can charge for it so that they can get paid? And then we did. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, life comes in seasons and your passions and goals are going to change. It, it does that for everybody. And one thing that I feel and what I see when I'm working with people that are setting goals, they, have, they see someone like you that are doing great things and say, I want to do that. And, but the self-belief saying, no, I can't. So instead of starting, they go and buy a bag of chips, yeah. you know. So how do we get them to start with it? The goal is, of course, to become really good at something, but what is the first step to get that started? I think there's maybe two first steps. I'm gonna tell you what those are. One of them is to delay gratification. Like they have found, studies show over and over again that if you're the type of person that can delay gratification, there's a little video they did with little kids. I don't know if you saw it with the marshmallows, yep. right? They say you can have one marshmallow now, or if you wait 30 minutes, we'll give you two. And something like 10% of the kids were willing to delay the gratification. They just waited with the marshmallows sitting in front of them for 30 minutes so they can have two. Yeah. All the other ones ate it, yeah. immediate gratification. So going back to your bag of chips, yeah. right? They go, man, I got this dream. I know this will change humanity. This will change my family's entire economic system. Yeah. This, I think this is my purpose. Oh, it sounds scary. It's gonna take long. I'll go get chips. Yeah. or whatever the thing is. Yeah. And it's because whether it's food or alcohol or TV or posting something on the internet, like motivational, inspirational, getting a whole bunch of likes, it's immediate. All those things are immediate and creates a dopamine hit. Dopamine is a very addictive chemical. What we're looking for is serotonin. Both of those are feel-good drugs in our head. Yeah. Dopamine, feel-good chemical. Serotonin, feel-good chemical. The difference is serotonin comes from 
delayed gratification, long-term commitment to a task that's so painful that you're gonna do anyway to create the outcome. You created serotonin. Dopamine is when you just gave your, the talk of your life and everybody stands up and claps and you just feel good about yourself, but then you go back to your hotel and you're like, ugh, yeah. ugh, right? Or eat the bag of chips and you feel good because of dopamine and then, ugh, God, how many calories was that? How long am I gonna have to work out to burn that off, right? And so one, understand that you must condition yourself to love delayed gratification. That's the science behind that. Number two, if the person has confidence, dude, if they have confidence, they won't grab the chips. Part of the reason I think people lean towards chips, TV, alcohol, gambling, distractions basically, yeah. right, is because they lack confidence. And Ed Milet says it really well. He says, if you want to build confidence, then you have to make a promise and keep a promise to yourself. Not to you, to yourself. And what I wrote in my book was, every morning you have a chance to keep your first promise of the day. The night before, on your phone or on your clock, you set the alarm what time you're going to wake up. And if you hit that snooze button, you're breaking the first promise of the day. You promised yourself, I'd wake up at 5 a.m., I would dominate my day, and then you hit that snooze button, you just told your brain, your subconscious mind, that I am not credible, and I am not trustworthy. And confidence is literally credibility and trust in yourself. So now, I'm less likely to go work out. I've already broke one promise, I'm very likely to break the next promise. And if I broke the second promise, then I'm gonna break the third promise. I'm not gonna eat clean anymore today. And I was gonna make five sales calls, maybe I'll just make one. Now it's a whole day of promise breaking. Your confidence has eroded and you are now a person of poor trust and poor credibility. And so if you keep those micro promises to yourself, then you will build the confidence and credibility, the trust in yourself. Like I trust that if I'm gonna be here and deliver the best freaking interview for you, yeah. it doesn't matter if my building is burning down outside, you're getting the best interview. Yeah. My car could have just been stolen from the parking lot, you're getting the best interview. My wife could say our home is on fire, you're getting the best interview. I would make sure they're out of the house, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> and then come here. Right, yeah. Because I have such trust and credibility in myself. And so you gotta delay gratification and you must keep promises, the smallest promises that you think it's, people think it's insignificant. It's just 10 minutes of sleep, I'm gonna hit yeah. snooze and, no man, you broke a promise and you're telling yourself that you are not trustworthy and that will carry on into the bigger promises you're trying to make, which is starting a business. I mean, it all adds up and it was funny when you talked about the car and when I started my car at the parking lot in Marina del Rey earlier this morning at, at noon, yeah. I was supposed to be here too, it didn't start. Oh boy. It always starts. So I was like, fuck, what do I what do I do? Because yeah. it's 60 miles. I was like, I was looking, can I run here? No. <laughs> I, I looked at that. the Uber. Yeah. I was like, how can I rent the car? Uh, luckily I someone jump started for me. I went to the mechanic and I came here, but I knew I was going to be here no matter, no matter what. what. No and, and this is a conditioning that I've been doing for all my life, and that's why we're here today yeah. and, and sitting and talking. And, and the interesting thing is that I see this, I see amazing people all the time or with the potential to be amazing. Mm. But there's a lot of excuses. As soon as something go wrong, I could easily just send an email and be super uh, like, hey, my car broke down. And like you taking off your busy time and, and I'm not gonna show up because of a little thing that just happened. Yeah. And this is what you said earlier. Before success comes the failure. Yeah. How are you gonna deal with that in that moment, right? Your car was meant to break down. Yeah. 
because this is going to be an amazing interview for your audience. Yeah. But for this to happen, for you to be have the success of this, that failure had to happen. Had to happen. It's the formula. As soon as people accept that it's a formula, then they go, okay, just wait for the failure. Just wait. Yeah. It's going to come. Bring but it on. Yeah. Look at all the options you came up with. You said, okay, my car broke down. None of the options you mentioned were to call me or Joan and say, I'm not coming. Yeah. It was, can I run? Can I Uber? Can I rent a car? Can I go to the mechanic? Okay, I got time for the mechanic. Like you came up automatically with four options. Yeah. All of them ended you up here. That's the difference between the doer and the non-doer. Yeah. And I think also it's, it's because it's not all about me. My promise to myself is super important and that is discipline. But it's also why am I doing this? Yes. This is gonna help many, many people. So I think when it comes to setting goals too, it should come from your heart, from your desire, but it should also answer the question, why are you doing this? Who is gonna benefit from what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah, public accountability is huge. Yeah. So with our Fit Body Bootcamp locations, you know, we, all of our location owners, when we have these big challenges that we do three times a year for all the clients in their community, one of the first things they say is, okay, well, how much weight do you want to lose in the last, next 10 weeks? It's a 10-week challenge. Yeah. And let's say they say, I want to lose 20 pounds. Great. Go tell five of the closest people around you, right? Because now you don't want to let them down. So it, it's, it's a very selfish thing to, and easy to let yourself down. But if I hold all these public people account, you're holding your audience accountable. Yeah. You are held accountable by your audience that you will show up here, even if you have to run to get this interview. Yeah. And public accountability is massive. And if you put it out there to five people who you don't want to let down, brother, you are going to do it no matter what. Yeah. yeah. And actually, that's one of the biggest things of goal setting, right? Like, yeah. be vocal about it. Share with the Now we got social media. Tell the world yeah. when you're going to do it by. And then when that date comes, say, look, I did it. Yeah. I think that's, that's huge, but don't get discouraged off the naysayers, right? right. Because there's going to be, like most people are going to be positive, but I mean, let's face it, I'm from Sweden. When you have a mega goal, like most people, they're not going to support it. Mm. Like how do you deal with that, especially if you haven't conditioned your <laughs> like kind of confidence yet? Because yeah. it's a work in progress. Yeah. yeah. Again, you ask such great questions. So Thank before you. my confidence was conditioned where I believe I can do anything. By the way, the only reason I believe I can do anything I put my mind to is I've been smart enough in the last eight, nine years to surround myself with an amazing team, Yeah. right? Like if I didn't have the team that I have, I, I, I would probably just do one thing, like open up a gym and be a trainer. It'd be, I'd be really good at it and be yeah. successful for one gym, but I'm able to be this mega guy because of the people behind me. Yeah. Um, but, but to answer your question, before I had the confidence, for me, it was this, this like burning desire. I had this like, I knew I was meant for more. Yeah. I don't know where that comes from. Uh, I don't know if we talked about in the last interview, I was, I was abused as a child, yeah. uh, sexually abused. And then you come to the United States as a foreigner and then you're like bullied. Yeah. Um, so I've had, while I didn't have confidence, I've had this chip on my shoulder. It goes back to the first thing we talked about here, this chip on my shoulder to prove people wrong. And so when people do tell me, and I've had plenty of people in my life, Armenians are probably no different than, than Swedes, where, you know, oh, that's too big. Just go get a, that's too big. You can't do that. You don't have a college degree. You barely graduated high school. Just go get a good job, son. Like, they mean well, yeah. but I take it as a personal attack. And so I started to do something. I don't know if it was healthy, but I now realize 
there's a healthy way of doing it. I started to cut people out of my life. Again, it's probably emotionally violent to do that, to cut out close friends, family members. Um, and I talk about this in my book. I think I talked about it on the last interview with you. Uh, for 16 months, I got, a, I got a therapist to talk about what happened to me as a kid because I realized that's, this was a big thing for me that I never got over, that I never processed through. So my therapist told, because I told my therapist, I'm like, man, I can cut anybody out of my life. If they tell me I can't do something, you're cut. He goes, uh, maybe that's, take it easy. He goes, but you can edit the relationship. So if you know someone is a naysayer, yeah. right, then maybe you don't want to share that goal with them. You don't want to share that dream with them. Share it with someone like you where Peter's going to go like, dude, I believe in you. I got your back. What's your timeline so that I can hold you accountable? Like, I would tell you my goals. I wouldn't tell necessarily my brother my goals. I know he loves me, he wants the best for me, but he thinks small. Yeah. And he thinks, because his capacity is small, that my capacity, he transfers his feelings, right? He projects yeah. his feelings on me. And so when I used to tell my brother and my dad, they go, ah, son, you can't do it. Yeah. No, I can. You're just not the one who's gonna encourage me. Peter is. And so be willing to edit. So there's a term for it. Be willing to edit people out of your life. In other words, don't tell them your dreams and goals. Now, if you're gonna put on social media, well, know that there's going to be negative people. Yeah. They're just, re all they're doing is they're reacting to, to the shitty person that they are. Like when someone, call, like the other day, someone called me a snake oil salesman. Hey, you used to be an awesome fitness business marketer, but now you're a snake oil salesman. You're greedy. You keep trying to grow Fit Body Bootcamp to 2,500 locations. And then he said, um, you sell so hard. When is enough enough? And I started to think like, when is enough enough? Well, I adopted <laughs> Shriners Children's Hospital, Toys for Tots, and Compassion International is the three charities that we give millions of dollars to. These kids, is there enough money I can give them for their medical services? Is there enough money I can give Compassion International for the kids who are going hungry and need education? Is there enough money I can give to Toys for Tots to buy more gifts? Because every year while we help something like, like actually this, is it this Saturday we're doing Toys for Tots? This Saturday we're doing again, uh, uh, something like $80,000 in toys for Toys for Tots that's still gonna leave another 200,000 kids just in Southern California without toys. Yeah. Like, when's enough enough? I can't do enough. I need to grow my businesses bigger. Yeah. So that guy, because I talk about how big I wanna get, he is not happy with how small he is in life. He knows he's not pushing himself like he should be. So when I talk about big goals and big dreams, it's like holding a mirror to him and saying, this is what you could be, this is your potential, but you're not doing it. And he goes, fuck you. When's enough enough? You're greedy, you're pushy, you're a snake oil salesman. Yeah. Now, I know enough to go, he's just talking about his own problems. Yeah. So you got to be able to, again, filter those people out yeah. on social media and then people close around you, edit the conversation. Don't eliminate the relationship like I used to. Yeah. Edit the conversation where only share your dreams and goals with the people who are supporters. Yeah. So last thing, like what, if you can just say one thing that they, our audience today should take with them to crush their goals 2020, what would be that last little thing? You know, that one thing would be exactly what we talked about. Yeah. Why not you? Yeah. Why not you? You've got a goal, whether it's a business, whether it's a lifestyle, whether it's a relationship you want to improve this year, whether it's bonding with your kids. Yeah. Like, why not you? You deserve it. And so if you just focus on the daily micro steps that you have to take, and hold yourself accountable, blame no one else but you, tell five other people that you believe in and that you trust to hold you accountable, and then set a date, and we should talk about that. A goal is only a goal when there's a deadline set. Yep. Otherwise, it's just a dream, yep. right? And then set a date, tell five people, 
Why not you? Most people believe that they don't deserve it. They're not capable of it. I used to feel that way too. And if I could just go back 20 years and tell my 25-year-old self that you do deserve it, you are capable of it, and it's going to feel so damn good to get there, yeah. why not you? Yeah, That's true. And, I mean, we believe in you. We love you. Get this going. People that, like, want to connect with you or are interested in your businesses or what you do, what's the best, best way to get in touch? Yeah, best way to get in touch with me is to uh, find me on Instagram at, uh, at Bedros Koulian. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bedros. Thank uh, you. you don't, I can't explain how much this means to me that you, you did this. It's, it's, it's beyond my words, you know, because I love, I love doing this. And uh, I, I could never imagine myself, like, doing so many cool conversations, learn so much from people like yourself. You've got a good gig, man. You do. Like, Thank you, brother. You, you get yeah. to sit around some awesome yeah. people. It's, yeah. it's the best thing ever, you know, yeah. and I love it. And to, to share that with the world. Indeed. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank yeah. you. I'm so excited for this episode. I mean, the last episode I did live, Bedros, was 172 back in my studio in Santa Monica. I think that was March 11th. Uh, after that, there was a shutdown. I started going virtual. So I've done like 70 or 80 episodes virtually, and I actually never, I did, never wanted to do that. Mm. But I, I said, I got to pivot. So I, I went on a world tour, but now we're back live. Uh, so I'm so excited, guys. This is episode 252. Uh, I have a guest here that you know from the past. If you haven't seen the two other episodes we did, it's 97, where we talk about the immigrant edge and the American dream. Bedros is sharing his journey. Then we launched an episode in towards the end of 2019, which was called Crush Your Goals with Bedros Koulian. It was a great episode, but then the world shifted and, and we, we got to see new things in the horizon. And here we are today, and we're going to talk about mastering your mindset. I'm here to pick Bedros' brain about what he learned uh, during this past year about health, about love, about business, and, and just being strong when things are tough. Uh, so guys, feel free to kick back, relax. I'm sure that it's gonna be so many great things. If I were you, I would take out my notebook right now and start making notes. So welcome to the I Love Success Podcast. Hey, Bedros. Peter, thank you so much for having me for the third time now. Oh my God, there's, there's not many people that I wanna to talk to three times. <laughs> well, I appreciate <laughs> it, that's a great compliment, so, thank you. Uh, no, just kidding, I mean, I always learn so much from you and I, I have gone back several times to the episode we have done and I always learn something new and uh, I love what you do and how you bring positivity to the world and also thinking about me as an immigrant myself, mm -hmm. I, I, I can't relate to so much and obviously you're further along in the journey than me. So I love being around people like that so I can learn and share that with the world. Sure, sure. And I think that's a great thing you're doing, not only for yourself, but for your audience. Yeah. You know, um, anytime we can get an advantage to be able to see around a corner that's coming up, like yeah. my first mentor, Jim Franco, yeah. was that person for me. He, he was so far ahead in his success that he would help me see around corners by guiding me, mentoring me, giving me advice and counsel. And uh, I'm glad we're able to do that. Awesome. So let's just dive right into mm -hmm. it. Uh, 
I want this to be about mindset. So I want to go back to last year and when COVID hit. And during that time, what was the worst time in your business? And how did you feel at that point? So last year when COVID hit, the worst time in my business was probably, if you remember, because you're, you're, you live in California. Yeah. If you remember, there was a period of time we shut, we all shut down March 13, 14, 15. I told all of our Fit Body Bootcamp franchise locations worldwide to shut down for two weeks to flatten the curve. Like that's yeah. what we knew. It was a very bad virus. Um, it was very contagious, and we're going to flatten the curve and do our duty uh, to the communities. And right around, it went longer than two weeks, obviously, yeah. all of March, all of May, and then if you remember, right around mid June, things started to reopen. It reopened temporarily. And our Fit Body Bootcamp franchise owners were excited. They were positively motivated that, okay, this is behind us now. And then if you remember what happened, about three weeks of being open, the world shut back down again. And that was the worst time for me because it was one of those things where all of our franchise owners, they're entrepreneurs just like I am, but they're newer in their journey than I've been. I've been doing this for 20 years as an entrepreneur. Some of them have been doing it for one or two years. Others have been doing it for five or six years. But they certainly don't have 20 years of history behind them. So they haven't seen other life ambushes. My friend Jason Redman, he's a Navy SEAL, he calls them life ambushes. There's usually you know, four, five, six life ambushes in someone's life. Could be that you know you're pronounced with cancer, spouse wants a divorce, a car accident, economic crash, or coronavirus. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> when you have experienced life ambushes, you know how to get off that X, pivot, yeah. reintroduce yourself as a new type of business, and move forward. But when you haven't had the experience of dealing with ambushes, and you first deal with an ambush. You go, all right, this was it. March to June, that was the ambush. We're done, we're moving forward. And then when you have the wind taken out of your sails that we have to lock down again, that's where the mental resiliency is required at the highest level. Nothing else, not intelligence, not emotional quotient, not a new marketing strategy, mental resiliency. That, man, I'm gonna have to shut down again. I don't know when reopening will be, but I'll be okay because I'll just have to repivot again. So that's when we lost the most Fit Body locations. Just to give you an idea, we had 608 Fit Body Bootcamp locations at the beginning of March. Um, between March and early June, we lost maybe 20, 25 locations that decided to permanently shut down. Yeah. From June 20th of 2020 on, we lost about 200 locations because once they felt like we have to shut down again, many of them felt hopeless. Yeah. And the moment we start going into hopelessness and we lose sight of opportunity and hope, yeah. there's an internal crisis that takes place. And the internal crisis says, batten down the hatches, shut it down, stop all, all things. And uh, that's what happened for not only for me and my brand, but for many brands. Yeah. So what took place for me mentally was like, holy cow, like yeah. there's a real possibility that my franchise brand will shrink yeah. by at least 50%. And I always go through this process, and this is a great mental toughness lesson of, okay, if that happens, do I accept it? 
and what do I do after? So I said, well, okay, if that happens, do I accept it? Yes, I have no choice, I accept it. What do I do? Wait for the world to reopen and then start building back up. I even went through the process, and this was around September of 2020, saying that if I lose the entire brand, I don't lose my identity, I lose the brand. I'm capable, I have a good mind, I always land on my feet, I can rebuild something different or the brand again. So I even accepted the fact that if you accept the worst case scenario and go, I will still survive and thrive, that gives you a sense of hope. But if you, if I tied my identity to Fit Body Bootcamp, then Fit Body Bootcamp fail, failing, or I guess going out of business, would have been me failing. So a lot of times we have to understand that an event happening that causes a business to fail or you to maybe not pass a test and therefore fail out of university or whatever, it's not a direct attack on you. It's just maybe you weren't meant to go that path. Now, thankfully, Fit Body Bootcamp survived and, you know, we didn't have to, you know, the brand uh, is fine and we retained 65% of our locations and now we're growing again. But it was a very scary time. But I went through my process of, okay, if this happens, do I accept it? Yes. And if I accept it, what's, what do I do after that? Rebuild. Okay. And I shared it with my team. My team was on board with the plan. And I said, guys, even if we lose the whole thing, we have the ability to keep solving problems in exchange for money. Because that's what an entrepreneur does. Yeah. You solve problems in exchange for money. So whether it's solving problems later with another brand or another thing, and in fact, when we weren't selling Fit Body Bootcamp franchises in 2020, because who's gonna buy a gym franchise in, when gyms are shut, we grew our supplement company, Truline, by 400% in that year. And so, again, I pivoted to online coaching with Fit Body Bootcamp, and then I pivoted my energy and my marketing to Truline supplements because everybody wanted to improve their health, improve their immune system, and so we created the Wellness Shot, which is our most popular product now for Truline. Um, and, and so it's important to do that. The only time you die is when you find yourself on an ambush or that X and you stay on it. Yeah. If you can find your way off the X, you're gonna be okay. Yeah, I love that. And, and I mean, self-mastery, I think that's the most beautiful thing we can do as human beings. And I, I just love spending time working on myself because the dividends are infinite, right? Yeah. It's, it's just unbelievable to feel good about yourself. And I, uh, my wife is a doctor and we talk about, there's a lot of people in pain right now. And, and when I see people in pain, you know, I'm driving around, I wake up early, go, usually go out and work out. Uh, this morning I did the stairs in Santa Monica and you see a lot of homeless people already waking up and you see that they're in pain and it hurts me too. So. We want to find ways to, to find a system to help mm -hmm. that, that could work for many people in order to pull themselves up. Uh, when you look at your life and, and this progress you have done during the last five, 10 years, what is standing out and what are the things that you could be helpful for other people, you think? Yeah, great, great question. Um, I forget, I wish I could give credit to the author who said this, but he said, Tell me your addiction, and I'll ask you to show me your trauma. In other words, when someone is addicted to alcohol, 
it's not the addiction to alcohol or drugs or food or gambling or pornography that they have. It's not that, that's not the addiction. The addiction is a means to avoid and ignore some traumatic experience that happened. Yeah. And so what's the best way to do that? To alter our state. Alcohol, drugs, food, um, entertainment, TV, overly consuming TV, social media, etc. cetera, um, pornography, infidelity, gambling, all of that is a way of changing our state and ignoring and avoiding this pain that we're feeling. And so the thing that stands out to me the most was addressing the worst thing that ever happened to you. All of us has, have, have had one bad thing that's happened to us, sometimes two or three, unfortunately. So we dance around this. So if this bottle was the worst thing that ever happened to me, and here there's, you know, hey, me and my wife aren't getting along, and outside here I'm addicted to alcohol, and here I'm eating too much, and here uh, too much pornography, and there I'm gambling. We start uh, trying to address all these things. Yeah. We need to address the core of the problem, right? Um, if, if you've got a cut, if I just put a Band-Aid on it and say, Peter, my friend, you're okay now, and you come back a week later, you're like, Pedro, it's, there's pus, there's blood, it's, I didn't clean it out. Yeah. To clean it out is gonna hurt you, yeah. right? Like, hey, Peter, hold on, man, bite on something, <laughs> because I gotta clean this out. We have to yeah. pour some alcohol in there. But you gotta clean out the trauma. And so when Kevin, my therapist, asked me to write a letter to, my, to the six-year-old version of myself, and the, he gave me the first sentence of that letter. Uh, Pedros, between the ages of four and six, you were molested by two older boys. But today you are dot, dot, dot. All of a sudden, because remember, I went to Kevin. I guess we need to tell your audience this, that I went to Kevin because I was dealing with panic attacks. Yeah. So I went there saying, hey, help me fix my stress. Yeah. Stress is another way of panic attacks. and. And by the way, it wasn't the stress and the panic attacks. I was working so much intentionally to avoid and ignore the trauma that had happened to me. Because when I'm in peace, when I have quiet time, when my mind is calm, it comes to the surface. And I don't want to think about what happened to me. So create a new company, go on stage and speak, do another podcast, create another product. Well, that, all of that stressed me out and overwhelmed me and I had, I had anxiety attacks. So I went to Kevin for that. It took four sessions for him to go, hey, well, what happened to you as a kid? Yeah. And I literally started crying. Yes. And I wanted to tell him, like, well, I'm not here to talk about what happened to me as a kid. Help me deal with my stress, my anxiety, my panic attacks. But I knew that was the door that I needed to walk yeah. through. And so it's having to write that letter to yourself. Like, hey, this is what happened, but that's not your identity. You're not a victim. You're not unlovable, you're not broken, you're not to be thrown out. That's how I felt about myself. I felt unlovable, broken, that I could just be thrown out. Yeah. And so if you walk through life with feeling that way, how can you love someone? How can you support someone? How can you feel like you deserve success? Which is why I constantly self-sabotaged myself. Um, interestingly enough, the last 10 years, magically that's gone. Yeah. Because I did the hardest work, which was to take four weeks yeah. to write one letter to myself. I remember starting it on my iPhone. I didn't like to do them that way. Then I went to my laptop, I didn't like that. Then I started writing with a pencil on paper, I didn't like that, so I switched to a pen, I didn't like that. Went back to my iPhone. 
writing to myself about specifically what happened, what they did, the feelings I felt, the feelings of shame, rage, confusion, uh, shame. Uh, I'm so, I was so embarrassed that that happened to me. Nobody could know. I can't tell Peter. I can't tell Ed. I can't tell anybody. Yeah. What will my friends think? If, uh, right? So that's a shame. Confusion. Did I do something to make those two older boys do this to me? Am I, was I secretly gay? Yeah. Like, right? So you grew up as a young man and the, back of your head, vo the, the, the voice in the back of your head is kind of asking you that. And so yeah. what do I do? I have to distract myself and get into trouble. And, and as I grow up, start businesses to not hear that voice. And then the rage. Like, how could this happen to me? How come no one protected me as a little puppy? Right? Yeah. And so to be able to write that letter to myself and then sit there after a month of writing that letter, because it took a long time, well, it took 29, 28 days of avoiding the letter. And then the last two days I wrote it. Because I told myself, I have 30 days to write it. Otherwise, I wasn't allowed to experience Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was coming up. Um, so we were getting close to Thanksgiving. So I finally was able to write it. But an 11-page letter to myself that then Kevin was able to break down piece by piece and literally deflate the shame, the rage, the confusion, the self-hate. Um, that's a lot of work, man. And I would walk yeah. out of his office feeling like I'm walking through molasses. Like, people ask me, like, how do you feel when you feel like your soul's been ripped out? Yeah. When you're bringing up stuff that's so old and so toxic and so, uh. So you, for two or three days, you walk around like you're in molasses and your head is like in a fog. Like when you drink uh, too much NyQuil the night before because you're sick and you wake up a little foggy headed and yeah. nothing makes sense. Like who's willing to do that work? The people willing to do that work are the ones that will have the big breakthroughs. But it's easy to just read a book. So I know I said, hey, read these books, and I named off a few. That's a good start. That's the tip of the iceberg. You want to get to the core of the iceberg? Like, go work with the therapist. Openly say, this is what happened to me. This was the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life. And even if you think you've dealt with it, because I told Kevin. I said, Kevin, I've dealt with that. Yeah. He goes, are you sure? He goes, can you say that I'm whole? And I started crying again. Yeah. And... Uh, I realized I didn't deal with it. I just stuffed it in a mental closet somewhere and I put all this furniture in front of it hoping that I would never have to address it. Yeah. So doing the deep work is really what gives us that, that if there was one thing, it's that. It's yeah. that. I mean, you could avoid all the books, all the courses, every Tony Robbins seminar and just go with, to a therapist and say, this, I finally need to work on this. Ooh, that's scary. That's freaking scary, man. Oh my God. I mean... First off, thank you for being so open and sharing. And I, I hope that gives uh, the audience here permission to also be open because there's, I think it, we all have a couple of things in our life that we are ashamed of, that we, you know, that gives us confusion and causes rage. And we, we don't tell anyone, right. not even like the closest person we have. And we just shut it off. But it, it, it always comes back to us, right? It does, because it's, it's unprocessed. In other words, we, our brain hasn't figured it out yet, right? It's, it's unprocessed trauma. Like when a, when a firefighter sees a, a, a baby that was just burned and charred in a fire. Yeah. And I've got a lot of firefighters who are friends, um, and so they tell me this, and they kind of laugh about it. It's called graveyard humor. Yeah. That's how they, they laugh about it. That's how they cope with it. But they haven't, but you, year after year after year, this is why firefighters have the highest suicide rate and divorce rate, even higher than police officers. 
because they see stuff that the human mind is not a, supposed to see, and when it does, you're supposed to process that. And left unprocessed, it haunts you. Yeah. And so my trauma haunted me. Um, that will haunt them. Uh, if, if someone had a parent who was just verbally or emotionally abusive, yeah. that will haunt them until you're processed and you're whole. One thing that I've, I've realized during this past year, as you know, I, I wrote a book about goals. Uh, I'm big into goals. And one, first off, I realized that it's great to have goals, but you have to be able to pivot quickly if necessary. And also, if you're too narrow, you might miss something more beautiful that's out there. So that's one thing. The, the other thing that I really realized is, for me, when I make a decision... I figure it out. I know I have made a decision to do it, and I don't know how, but somehow I make it work. Uh, and I keep doing work until I find the answer. Is that something that you have seen in your life as well? And can you share when you realize that? Yeah, I, I, I have. And that may, I'm gonna have to ask you, I don't know if that's factory installed. That may be something that we have from the womb. I think if I do have a superpower, it might be that, that I, I say it less eloquently than you did. I say I can eat shit sandwich after shit sandwich after shit sandwich until I figure it out. Like I'm just willing to get punished yeah. until I figure it out if I put my mind to it. Um, I don't know if that's just being pigheaded, stubborn, um, committed. Yeah. I don't know where that comes from. I've always had that. I've, even as a kid, if I wanted something, I found a way to get it. Yeah. I remember figuring out how to mow enough lawns to make enough money to take like three different buses to service merchandise to buy a BB gun that my dad didn't want me to buy. <laughs> and I had to buy it during the time he was at work and get back. So I had figured out all the bus schedules and get back and then hide, play with my BB gun and then hide my BB gun before he ever got home. Yeah. Like, and communist dad. So like, like you get backhanded and you get yeah. beat up. You don't just get, you know, get into trouble, right? So I knew the, the, the fines. The backhand is dangerous. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what, you know, I don't know if they have to teach that in your martial arts or not, but my dad can teach you that my one. My father is my sensei, I've had a Yeah, yeah, there you go. My dad called it the five brothers. He goes, you want the five brothers? Like, no, I don't want the five brothers, man. Enough with the five brothers. I've had like 50 brothers already, enough. But, um, and so I don't know where that comes from. Now, have I been able to develop that more? Yes, I could eat even more shit sandwiches than ever now. And I bet a decade from now, I'll. so, so it's like a muscle. It is a trainable muscle where I can stick to something and fail a hundred times. And if 101 time is the time that makes it, I can get there. If it's a thousand and one time, I can get there if I put my mind to it. I, but I don't think that everybody has that. It's, they can develop it, but those of us that are born with that, that is an advantage. How do you develop that, though? <sighs> wins. Wins. The, the, the more wins you get, the more you like the taste of winning, right? And so if you're not stubborn and pig-headed like, like we are, um, let's face it, being an immigrant in this country, you, you kind of have a chip on your shoulder to prove yourself, yeah. right? And so that's, that works in our favor. People go, man, yeah, you have a chip on your shoulder. Right? You should do something about that. I'm like, no, I like it. Yeah. I like it. I just control it. I control my rage, like Tim Grover says. Um, but hey, if you're born here, like my kids, yeah. 
They're born here. They have a great life. They fly first class or upper class when we fly everywhere. Um, I teach them to get wins. Son, what do you want to eat tonight? Oh, I want Primo's. I want the Primo's, uh, what's it called? The Primo's Monster Burrito with steak and french fries in it. Awesome. <laughs> we're going to have to do 300 deadlifts before you do, do that. So we're going to drive to my gym and we're going to work out together. So he knows that he has to win at something to get the reward. No reward ahead of winning. And so, same with my daughter. Uh, just think of that, because yesterday we were, that's, that literally happened yesterday. And in fact, I made my son, he's 15, drive through the drive through because I'm teaching him how to drive. I'm like, all right, now you're going to drive through the drive through Otherwise, we're not eating Primo's. So <laughs> you're going to have to do the deadlifts and drive through the drive through It's like, but dad, what if this car is behind me? I'm like, you're going to figure it out, son. Yeah. <laughs> and it was his mom's car, my wife's car. So thankfully, <laughs> nothing happened. Yeah. Smart. Because <laughs> I, yeah, I got the big truck, and he doesn't want to drive the truck, and, and so he drives a Land Rover. Um, so anyway, all, all, all this to say that when you start stacking wins, you start liking that feeling of winning. It's just so many people have given up on things. They start and they stop. They give up. They give up too early. They have an idea of starting and then they never even launch, failure to launch. So, so many people have stacked losses for so long, they don't know how to stick to anything because they're used to losing. I condition my kids to get used to winning. I don't, like my daughter has the ability, like you and I do, she, she has it naturally factory installed to stick to something and figure it out and get it done. Yeah. Truth be told, my son doesn't. Yeah. So with my son, I'm conditioning that into him yeah. and he's doing just fine. Love that. Tell me more about those six week challenges. I'm cu kind of curious now. Yeah. So that the, is. <laughs> the first one was an accident. It was in 2010. <laughs> I had, so in 2003, I told my, or 2002, I told my wife, at the time, she was my girlfriend, jokingly, because she ran marathons. She ran three marathons a year. I said, uh, and she always tried to get me to run marathons. And I'm like, no, you go in the gym and work out with me instead. And so I kind of told myself, and this is another problem that we have as humans. We go, oh, God's made me to lift weights. I'm a big guy. I got big traps, big legs, big chest. I'm made for, to lift weights. Dude, we are adaptable. Like, we go into the sun, we get a tan. Our body adapts to the environment. It was so amazing to see my body adapt to running. And I was like, uh, boy, was I a liar or what? Because <laughs> I had sold myself on the idea that I'm just designed to lift weights. But anyway, so I told her one day in 20, 2002, jokingly, I said, hey, if you, uh, if, you, if, you decide to, if you marry me, I'll run a marathon with you. And she laughed. She goes, really? I goes, yeah. I go, yeah. She goes, well, if you ask me, I'll say yes. I was like, okay, that was my way of testing it, right? <laughs> so six months later, I asked her to marry me. And um, in 2003, we get married. Well, 2010 had come, and I hadn't run a marathon with her yet. I'm like that. Now I get it. I yeah. said it jokingly, yeah. but in my head, I was still kind of serious. Yeah. And so one day, I just felt so much guilt and pressure from that. I texted her, and I was on a business trip, and I texted her. I said, honey, when is your next marathon? She goes, it's in six weeks. I go, where? She goes, San Diego. San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon. Sign me up. Sign me up. She goes, are you sure they have a half marathon, too? I'm like, sign me up for the full marathon. A decade ago, I promised that I would run a marathon with you. Where I was at was Jill Brewer. I was teaching one of our masterminds. Jill Brewer, runwithjill.com. So during the lunch break, I go, hey, Jill, I just signed up for a marathon. My wife sent me the receipt. Can you put me on a training program? She goes, sure. And so during that training program, I learned that we negotiate our way out of everything. Like that, that voice at 11, 12 o'clock at night, 1 a.m., 
comes out and says, hey, you don't have to finish this run. You can just go home and lie and say that you had a great 12-mile run or 9-mile run. And then the, nego the conversation that you have with that voice, and you know, at the project we call it, you negotiate with your inner bitch yeah. <laughs> or you become a beast. And so I would negotiate with my inner bitch a lot. And so during the just training part, I learned so much about myself. My breaking point, um, the, 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 the discomforts, the, the excuses that I would come up, well, hey, you didn't sleep well last night, so it's okay to skip the, no, no, no. Just because you didn't sleep last night doesn't mean it's okay to skip the training. The marathon's not moving, it's on this date, right? So I would literally have these discussions with myself. And sometimes like I was yelling at myself in my head, and um, so when I did the marathon, I remember at mile number 17 thinking, dude, my body was hurting. Peter, my body was like aching, cramping, like things were just, like my knees were swollen. Because six weeks is not enough time. Yeah. And I remember mile number 17, I, I remember thinking, if I just throw myself on the ground, hold my side or hold my leg, my wife, and tell my wife that it's just a cramp and I can't fix it, I could at least have some dignity. Yeah. And I'm like, you little bitch, don't even yeah. think about it. Because she's running with me, yeah. right? I'm like, you little bitch, don't even think about it. Just do it at mile number 18. And the mile number 18, I'm like, just do it at mile number 19. So I got to 26.2 miles by negotiating with myself, but saying just one more mile and then you can do it. So I learned so much resiliency. And I was like, man, if, and, and then all of a sudden, it bled into my business. I became a better leader. I became a better father. I became a better husband. So I'm like, I think I'm onto something. So I started doing these challenges. So it was an MMA challenge after that. I hired Aaron Weatherspoon. He was the king of the cage welterweight champion. And we trained for six weeks, three times a week. And then he got into the cage with me. That was an awful experience. <laughs> uh, and then rock climbing, because I was afraid of heights. Yeah. So Joshua Tree, rock climbing three times a week with the coach. When I think about you know, how many coaches I've had from business to fitness, surfing, I was afraid of the ocean. Yet I live in Southern California. Yeah. Uh, hired a surf instructor for six weeks, and I said, hey, just teach me how to surf. I'm gonna come Monday, Wednesday, Friday. He goes, that's not how it works. You know, the waves don't happen on your schedule. They happen <laughs> on a wave when they're supposed yeah. to. You have to look at the wave report. I go, no, no, I'm too busy. He goes, what if it's flat? I go, then teach me how to paddle. Yeah. He goes, what if the waves are too big? I go, teach me how not to drown. Yeah. And if the waves are perfect size, teach me how to surf. And that's what we did. Sometimes I'd go to Doheny, Dana Point, and uh, it was flat, like a lake. Yeah. For two hours, he's out there. He goes, all right, keep paddling. <laughs> all right, so I'm just paddle, 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 paddle. But I got so good at paddling that I could just do two real strong paddles and catch a wave now. And when the waves are really big, just try not to die, you know? And, but I learned so much. Consistency, mental toughness, overcoming fear, realizing that it's never as bad as you think it is. Like the act of drowning is not as bad when someone teaches you how to catch your breath right before it sucks you in and teaches you how a wave works and that if it sucks you in, it's gonna spit you out because it's a circle, like a washing machine. I didn't know that. So I just knew I'd been sucked underwater before that I don't wanna die. Yeah. Well, if something's sucking you under, it's gonna also push you back up. And so once you learn that, you develop this confidence about the water, which bleeds into every other part of your life. And so then jujitsu and all these different things, all these six week challenges, and they just continue to happen. Um, but each one makes me more self-aware and I gain more self-mastery. And it's some of the best alone time that I can get. You know, and, and you know this, when you're alone in meditation, that you really do a lot of processing of problems and challenges and trauma and all that stuff. 
I love that. And also the six weeks is long enough for you to learn something, but short enough for you to stay motivated on something new Excited and taking it. the time if you're already busy. So it's incredible. I, yeah. I think I need to implement that in my yeah. life because it sounds very fun. And also it sounds like I can learn a lot of fun stuff. And also one thing that I really took away when you talked about that story about 10 years after you hadn't done it, we all have that in our belly. There's something right now when you're listening. I said I was going to do that, but I did not. Yes. So if you're listening, watching to this show, that thing, do it because one of my mentors, he said, Tony Robbins, if you want it, if, if you don't want to do it, then you must, unless it's like jumping out of a window, right, then, right. then final. Uh, anyway, the final thing that I want to share before we leave, I think this has been the team of the show and that is you're already worthy for people that are listening right now. You're, you're not what you're doing. You're not what you're owning. So give us your final thoughts about mm. you know, being worthy and then we'll head out. That's powerful. You are. What, your possessions, your status, your, your, your job title, your companies, the brands that you wear, none of that is your identity. You're already worthy. You're already good enough. You really are. That doesn't mean that don't go self-develop. Yeah. That just means that don't tie your identity to the things and the possessions and the brands. Instead, tie your identity to developing to that highest level of yourself, to become that human being who lives with, as one with consciousness. And if you realize that, then maybe you won't. And I think one reason people just live a shitty life is because they feel they're not worthy. They feel they don't deserve it. They feel that they that others are better than them. Yeah. No one's better than me or you. Yeah. No one, man. We all have two arms, two legs, insecurities. Um, can I tell you something? And, and yeah, this is, please. dude, this is the third time that we've been here, yeah. right? And between all the podcasts that I've done, like Zoom ones and in person, I've probably done about 600. Each time as I come down the staircase, there's a little bit of anxiety. There's yeah. a little bit of like, I don't wanna do this. Yeah. What if I can't do it right? What if I let Peter down? Yeah. Every time. Yeah. And you would think it would only happen with a new host, a new person yeah. coming in, because I've experienced it twice before. Yeah. So that's my insecurity, because I'm a foreigner. I had a lisp, and I've yeah. gotten rid of my lisp for the most part. I've gotten underbite, and kids used to laugh at me about that. And I realized my looks are different than the regular person, and so I got laughed at that. But I know it's also my mission and my purpose yeah. to serve. And how can I serve if I don't push myself out of my comfort zone and take advantage of Peter's platform that he's giving me? And so I come down those steps 600 some odd times now, anxious, a little bit of stress. And I don't know if you noticed my hand was cold. I intentionally hold a cold bottle in my hand because my hands sweat when I get nervous. And so right before I walk in, I switch to hands and I shake your hand because I don't want to shake your hand with a sweaty hand. And I share this with Good you, move. Peter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you figure things out, right? I mean, but dude, if you let all of those little insecurities stop you thinking that you're not worthy and you're not good enough, like maybe you're supposed to be the person that solves the next cancer, the next electrical grid problem, the next economic problem. Just get up off your butt, have your insecurities and do it anyway. 
I'm the same way, man. And I think, I always think about this. If you're nervous, it means that you're serious. And it rhymes better in Sweden, <laughs> in Swedish. But it's kind of like, if you care about something, it means that you're, you're serious. If yeah. I come here unprepared, if I don't care, then I should do something else. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, we still do it. And if you're watching this, you can still do it as well. If you're nervous, if you're scared about something, go out and do it. First off, hats off to you, Bedros. I'm so happy you always say yes and you always let me come here and uh, pick your brain. So I've had so much fun, I learned so much. Thank you. Uh, for people that wanna check out Trulean Fit Body Bootcamp, Bedros Kulian, where's the best platform to start? Yeah, probably the best place to start is just to follow me on Instagram, yeah. at Bedros Kulian. And um, from there they can just learn all about me and my, my world. Awesome. And thanks again, guys, for being here. As you know, my big fat mission is to help at least 10 million people in 10 years to go after their dreams. But right now, you are the most important person to me. If you found value of this show, get off your couch or whatever you do and start taking action. Maybe sign up for that marathon or whatever it is that you're going to do that will improve your life. Check us out on YouTube. It's on Peter Jumrukovsky. Check me out on Instagram. And the show is called I Love Success Podcast. If you didn't already know, subscribe and do all that shit. The other last thing I want to ask you is if you found value of this show, please share it with somebody that needs to hear this message. It could be a lover. It could be a hater. It doesn't really matter. Just go out there and share it with somebody that needs to hear this. Other than that, thank you guys. And I'll see you next week.